1: Episode 479 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and I have the pleasure of welcoming to the show Amos Murphy from the City Report Podcast. If you hadn't guessed, we have something or someone to talk about today, and that is the signing of Ilkay Gündogan. But I also feel like the manager of Man City is somebody with some connection to Barcelona, if I remember right. Either way, we're going to talk about it all. Welcome to the show, Amos.
2: Fantastic! Thank you for having me. As you can see by a big smile, I'm still living off the uh, the treble celebrations. I'm refusing to let them know, as you guys will know what it's like to win a treble or two. And um, yeah, esteemed company. So I'm uh, I'm happy to be here. Well, I have to warn you,
1: as maybe the, the, the ghost of future self, maybe it's a little more gray hair I have. But <sighs> when it comes to those trebles, the warning is that City fans are going to expect that every year. And it's become mm-hmm. the expectation. And then, you know, your DMs are going it, to... It, it, it's a whole thing. It, it, you'll, you'll figure it out. You'll figure it out. But, all right. We can get into all that other stuff, the treble, Guardiola, and all that stuff later. But I have you here, of course, because Ilkay again, is Barcelona's first signing for their first team of the summer. Well, technically, Inigo you know, Martinez, but you know, our first official with the jersey is going to get. So the 32-year-old arrives as a free agent on a two-year deal with an option for a third year. His release clause: 400 million euros. So let's talk about the move itself and the off-the-field stuff first. The main report is that City were not willing to match the offer from Barcelona that they gave and only offered a one-year deal with an option for a second. Now, you can say that a financial offer, but it's really a difference of guaranteed money here. So it's not the wages like Barcelona can afford him because of their wage structure. And he was willing for both City and Barcelona or even Saudi Arabia. Well, that's a different thing because their wages are going to be completely outrageous. But for City of Barcelona, the wage was going to fit in either team. But it was the guaranteed money on the contract and the length of the contract was seen to be the issue. So I'd rather say that Barcelona were willing to guarantee him two years and potentially three, while City were only willing to do one or two. That said... Why do you think City weren't willing to go two plus one for Ilkay Gundogan? And I mean, is that something that Barcelona fans should be worried about?
2: For, uh, I'll answer the the last point of that first. And, and absolutely, it's not anything that, that Barcelona fans should be worried about. Ilkay Gundogan, as we'll discuss, is a, a supreme footballer and will continue to be throughout the length of his contract at Barcelona. The difference here is with City, and, and, and I appreciate not a lot of listeners will Sort of be up to date with how Manchester City's transfers operate, but if you look at the past, I'd say ever since Pep Guardiola arrived at the club, each year there has been a big name, a core player who has left the the, the team and most of the time, I think if not all the time, they've been over the age of 30. Last season it was Fernandinho, the season before was Sergio Aguero, we've had uh, David Silva, Vincent Company, Yaya Torre, Pablo Zabaleta going back all the way to 2016. So City have... A real knack of knowing when to refresh. And what better time to refresh than after you've just won pretty much everything there is to win. And also on the other side of that, there's the. I hate the word fairy tale, but if you're going to have a fairy tale that involves a club that is partly state-backed as Manchester City are and have all the riches in the world that Manchester City do, winning the treble, going through Manchester United, Ilkay Gundogan scoring the two goals in the FA Cup final, captaining the team that won the 3 P at the Premier League and obviously lifting City's first ever Champions League, is pretty close in terms of that dream ending, that, that walking off in the sunset, Champions League trophy over your shoulder. And you can go to Barcelona without the burden of necessarily having those career achievements that have followed them around for, for quite a long time. So it's not a it's not a worry for Barcelona fans, but for City, this is what they kind of do. They, they say to their older players, it happened with Fernandinho, it was on a, I think for a couple of years, a one-year rolling contract, and each summer he, he extended an extra year until he obviously left. This is how they operate. So I think it's no shock really within the city fan base that this has happened but i can understand why from the outside it does look like it is a bit of a oh my god they've let one of the best players go should we be worried absolutely not it's a promise it'll be great
1: yeah and of course you're hearing from him already you know he's speaking being introduced and things like that and not only his old Dortmund pal and Robert Lewandowski kind of giving advice Mm -hmm. letting him know but now that anyone needs to know that living in the city of Barcelona would be, you know, a great place to <laughs> to, to enjoy your time, especially, in, in, and you have your family in the 30s and things like that. And I think that's the real question for Gunnigan, right? At that age, with those 30 year olds, the more difficult thing can be, you know, knowing when the time is right, not only for them but for the club, because they obviously, you know, for him, he's established in the city. So while it was always going to be, and by that I mean the city of Manchester. So while it may always seem like he was perfect time for City, a perfect time for him to go, it does also seem to me that he still has to weigh whether or not his family wants to leave, whether or not, I don't know how many kids he has, but whether his kids are set up and all those things. And it's all that off-field stuff that, obviously, professionals when having the option. Because again, when you're 32, 33, 34, most players don't really have the options. Teams usually mm. say, hey, you know, it's the end of the road, you're done. And I think City, that's why they offered him the contract they did, which is one plus one, as opposed to two plus one. They said, hey, you know, if you are going to stay, we get it. You're the team captain, all that stuff. But you can also find greener pastures. Now, I do want to talk about his time at City before we go to where he is now and how he'll fit up Barcelona. So how is the player who signed from Dortmund in 2016 different from the one we see today, other than a few thousand miles on those legs? Because I think, I mean, I don't know. It, I can't imagine many people listening to this show only watched him at Dortmund <laughs> from mm. 2011 to 2016, and then completely tuned out, never saw him at City, never watched the Champions League with, with Man City. So only know him from Dortmund. But the point is, how did you see, I think a better way to ask that would be, what kind of growth, how have you seen him evolve from a player in his mid-20s into what he is now in his 30s?
2: It's funny you say that, because if we hark back to Gundogan's first season, 2016-17, he put on a masterclass against Barcelona. Barcelona team who were, were what? One two years out from having won the Champions League themselves, so he he has always been a crucial integral part to what Pep Guardiola has done at City. He was sounded out as the first signing under Guardiola in 2016 when he arrived from Bayern Munich. Obviously, having spent three years in in the Bundesliga watching him, and, and at times watching him tear his Bayern Munich team to shreds alongside Lewandowski, of course. But he he was he was sort of he was even though, because he he arrived um, to go back to 2016, he got an injury in his final season at Borussia Dortmund, and he wrote in his farewell letter that at the time he felt, this is my chance to go to City, having disappeared, you know, the Guardiola's going to pull the deal, I'm not going to be able to go, I'm going to be stuck at Dortmund whilst I do my recovery. And the first thing Pep said to him was, no, you're my man, you will be here even if you arrive on crutches. And he did, there's videos of him walking through the door on his first day in crutches. So he's always been Guardiola's Guy basically, but in terms of how he's evolved, it's a really interesting question because the Gundwan that arrived in 2016 isn't anything like the Gundwan that leaves in 2023. There's been, I'd say, ironclad three different iterations of Gundwan in terms of his playing style. He arrived at this sort of box to box, high energy midfielder, a little bit like the player City have uh, replaced him with in uh, Mateo Kovacic from Chelsea but then around possibly just after covid in the covid season 2020 2021 he finished that that campaign when city got to the champions league final and won the premier league as city's top goal scorer i think he racked up somewhere in the region of 20 goals he was being deployed as as um as a false nine and there is some genuine arguments from very intelligent well respected pundits that he is the second best false nine that Guardiola's ever used behind one Lionel Messi. He was he was it was it was a position made from it was assistant made from he had Pacey Wingers down the side. He'd arrive late in the box, he'd link up the play. It was it was absolutely perfect. But this season, as he took the armband, obviously going back to last season, he scored the, the two goals against Aston Villa on the final day when City won the Premier League in pretty dramatic fashion and and was voted um the captain in the off season but he's taken the armband and he's almost deployed this sort of, the the best way for me to describe it would probably be a second striker role to Erling Haaland. And, you know, a a lot of people maybe associate him with a sort of more traditional central midfielder, but he has been the man who has backed up Erling Haaland even when it wasn't going well for City. He was still the guy who was servicing Haaland in the way that no other City players really could. So he's he's a, a player who, Throughout his six seven years at Manchester City, has sort of transformed from one style to the next, and and really morphed into whatever Guardiola has wanted him to do. Which I, which I think is why Xavi will will love him because there, there are to sort of elephant in the room. There are quite a few similarities there in the way the two of them play, and and I think with to sort of maybe not be disrespectful but La Liga isn't as high paced high intensity as the Premier League so as he goes into his 30s as he goes he's 32 now so by the end of the contracts will be 35 I think that's that that's no issue at all because he will be able to once again evolve into what suits him and, and whatever Xavi wants him to be.
1: I think it's very diplomatic to say that the, the pace is different because <laughs> Yeah, others use the word quality, and that is where I push back. But the word pace, I think, is the right, is the right word there. So, yeah, when you, when you think you kind of dabbled into the style of play a little bit and brought up some questions about the attack, that I know people now want me to jump into, but I'm going to make them wait because I do want to still focus on his legacy at City just for a second longer. Because when you think of the last seven years with him, five Premier, uh, Premier League titles, two FA Cups, and finally the Champions League trophy, obviously, I think you'll think of David Silva, Kevin De Bruyne, Sergio Aguero, those players, I think, might come first in your memory. But how soon do you say Gundogan's name in crediting him for the success of this era? So, like, as you're listing out the most important Man City players from the last, say it, yeah, the last seven years, I guess, or even even the last decade, right, going back to Vincent Company and things like that, Yaya Toure. So, in this, we'll say the last ten years, right, the era of Man City as we know them. How quickly do you say Gundogan's name? You think in that in that list?
0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
2: I I tell you what, Dan, I'm going to say the last 125 years of of Man City's existence because honestly, he, he is sort of over the last three, four seasons morphed himself into one of the club legends who will not only be spoken in the same breath as the likes of Vincent Kompany, Sergio Aguero, David Silva, as you mentioned, and eventually Kevin De Bruyne when he retires or leaves City, but, Colin Bell, Mike Summerby, um, all those uh, Mike Doyle, the the, the legends, the, the 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 eternal figures of Manchester City. The sort of if you were to equate it to Barcelona, the Johan Cruyff, that sort of name. That is where we are. And, and granted, obviously, City don't have that illustrious history like a European giant mm-hmm. on the continent does. But you know, City have been around for the over a century. We've won multiple trophies before the recent era. So he is sort of he is in very good company, and the. The the sort of the part that makes me sort of firm that opinion opinion up is the fact that he has become the first captain to lift the Champions League for Manchester City and it wasn't even that he was the first captain had it happened last season for example Fernandinho obviously a, a little bit older than Gundogan is now I think he was in 36 or 37 or something like that but he played a bit part role in that campaign and he would have sort of maybe had the token gesture of lifting the, lifting the trophy. Gundogan has been integral for Manchester City throughout this treble winning campaign. I mentioned it before scoring the goals against United in the FA Cup final. And that is enough basically to to the first ever time Manchester City and Manchester United have met in the FA Cup final, which is obviously a very prestigious competition in England. He, that, that would have been enough to sort of have your name in lights forever. But then to go on the week later and lift the Champions League and then having the week before lifted the Premier League for the third time in a row, he he genuinely is one of the greatest Manchester City players of all time, which makes this ending so perfect in a way. And it's a unique transfer because I think every single party player, the club who was signing him, the club who were letting him go, can be equal parts happy because it, it is basically the perfect transaction.
1: Yeah, I mean, when you talk about his exit, of course, Xavi left in 2015 after also winning the treble, but he was also three or four years older than Gunnigan is now. And he also, of course, goes to Qatar. And it felt like it was the end of him in Europe, as opposed to even Busquets for, for Barcelona leaving now as their primary captain. But he leaves, again, goes to, to MLS and he's, he's leaving the European journey. Well, Gunnigan, again, is younger, considering, you know, continuing his on, being just 32. And you mentioned him as a leader. And so just like Lewandowski. Last season, who isn't a captain, he might be the fourth captain this season, who knows, but Lewandowski didn't come in as a captain, but he came in as a player that was just different than a lot of teenagers even or early 20 something in the squad, having a player that comes in knows exactly who they are, what it takes to win, what it takes to win at a high level, what it takes to keep your body right, how to be a professional What kind of leader is going to get? Is going to get that big personality, the way that Lewandowski is, where he just kind of comes in and says, this is how I do things. And I think this maybe is how we do things now, because this is the expectations of what what a team that just won the treble was. So if you want to win the Champions League final, I just did it most recently than anybody else in this squad. Here's how to do it.
2: I think it is, it's maybe the opposite in the in the right, in the sense that he commands that respect. And I would assume he is. Obviously, Barcelona have some fantastic youth talents who, who can learn a lot off um, Gundogan. But they also have those experienced pros, the likes of even de now who has been right. one of the longest serving players, who who will be able to, obviously, having learned stuff from him from international level, but in the club setting as well. How do we go on and win the Champions League again after, after the short hiatus? But he's more of a, a player who when he speaks everyone else shushes and he's not going to be the sort of guy who walks into the the dressing room and bangs on lockers and tells everyone to shut up and you know this is this is how we're going to go out and that he can do that and there were clips of him um in his in the last two seasons City do some fantastic behind the scenes documentaries and and I would urge anyone who is looking for a bit more on his personality to go out and find them but he is more of a player who is very composed, the way they speak. And and for a long time, I have said that Ilkay Gundogan will be the first former Manchester City player from the current era who comes back as manager. Now, that includes Vincent Company, who's just been promoted to the Premier League with, with Burnley. I, I truly believe he is his footballing brain is magnificent and and over the last couple of years as he's sort of got into his 30s at City he's been doing coaching badges with the younger teams and and recently a story I can't remember who the writer was so apologies but it came out in that with a in a training session with the under 16s at City Gundwan trialed this system where the centre-back steps into midfield whilst the team has possession and they are, are sort of Overload the midfield and it creates uh, attacking options out wide. Sounds quite familiar with the way City won the Champions League with John Stones doing that exact role. So he has this sort of he has an eye for football, and I reckon that is what Barcelona will benefit the most from the, the fact that he can bring that experience, obviously having lifted trophies, but also how to win football matches in a multitude of different manners. Yeah, again, we're
1: we're we're on the precipice of the style of play, but I do want to go over the bad news. Of, of, I think, I guess the only bad news of Gundigan really, well he was fairly healthy last season, playing about 74% of all available minutes as a midfielder, which is pretty good, he does have a history of injury troubles. And as the player that Xavi has admitted was signed because Barcelona needed someone else besides Pedri to do what Pedri does also, and also Pedri misses a lot of time himself. So, what kind of injuries? Are we talking about are we talking about isolated in the moment or little things here and there that seemingly pop up all the time right the difference is right between a player that was David was was injured once basically in his whole career when he broke his leg it's a whole thing he was out for a year came back no problems and then of course there's Dembele on the opposite end of that spectrum Dembele is injured in perpetuity but can you actually name what his actual you know injury was other than repeated hamstrings repeated quad strain, you know what I mean like it, so for Gunnigan what is he is he someone that you're going to expect to miss maybe three weeks here four weeks here because of a muscle injury or is it like okay if it's real bad luck then you're going to miss him for a while
2: I, I think it's the latter genuinely I think it's the latter and and City obviously have a, a a pretty good medical team and we've seen that with Erling Haaland in the season just gone he arrived from Dortmund sort of constantly injured it was more of a surprise when he wasn't injured but he managed to stay fit and City looks after him and, and they do a really good job at, at, at that with the players. So it would be interesting to see how that transitions over to Barcelona. But looking at his, his sort of major injuries for City, he, he arrived in 2016, like I said, on crutches. That was a dislocation of the patella. Now, I'm not a medical guy. I have no idea what that means. And that sort of says, you know, it isn't a hamstring. It isn't a groin strain. It, it, it's a pretty unlucky injury. It's a pretty freak injury. He then did his uh, cruciate Ligament Rapture, sort of, it must have been only three or four months into his City career, and and he was out for the best part of a year with that. And that really sort of knocked him back a a good while. It took him a a season or two to really establish himself in the team. But again, quite an unlucky injury, quite a a unique injury, and and not one that you would expect to do sort of every couple of weeks or whatever, mainly because you you won't be on the pitch every couple of weeks, but you, you you get my drift. Other than that, He's not missed more than five games in a in a sort of a stint of an injury. Mm-hmm. So he is he is a man who knows how to look after himself. And, and I think sort of teasing it once again, the style of play, he has to be, because he's not pacey, he's not, you know, extremely muscular. He can put himself about, but he has to be he has to be clever in the way he operates to avoid those injuries. He, he's a supreme tech, uh, technician, and I think that's probably why he hasn't had those sort of those two-week, three-week, four-week spells four times a season where he's missing matches because he, he is, like again, going back to it, a really intelligent footballer and knows how to look after himself.
1: Yeah, so let's do it, the style of play. I, I did find it really interesting to note that he started out as a wide winger in his Nuremberg days and early Dortmund days before Jurgen Klopp, I mean, who's a pretty good manager too, said no more of that and put him in the middle of the field. So that happens at Dortmund. Now, obviously, that was a long time ago, more than 10 years ago when that transition happened. But the fact is that he has adapted, as you mentioned, to wherever he's expected to be. Uh, and he's done that quite a bit. So I think most Kool-Aids want, want most to know, where do you think he is most comfortable on the field? And the follow-up to that is, where can he play on the field without losing too much of what makes him him?
2: Yeah, it's, it's a difficult question because, as alluded to, basically wherever you want him to and bar, well, I don't know, I'd like to see him at right back or left back or even centre-half, I reckon he could probably do a decent enough job, but bar those defensive positions, I reckon if you, you deployed him as a six, no problems there. Uh, funnily enough, a lot of people attribute City's 2021 Champions League final defeat against Chelsea to the fact that Rodri, nor Fernandinho were on the pitch and Gundogan was deployed as the holding midfielder. But if he, And unfortunately, he did have, to have the displeasure of watching that game back. But if you do watch it back, the the issues are not Gundogan. He, he controlled the game really well. City dominated the ball, created enough chances. And he does that job quite... To, it's not his best position, but he does it to a degree which is comfortable enough. And I think against a team, maybe a lower half team, who, when Barcelona are going to have a lot of the ball he's more than comfortable sitting in that number six position and, and almost acting as a little bit of a metronome, but I think that does take away from his attacking abilities. And, and we've seen it over the last sort of three seasons, he has a real good eye for goal and and a, a sort of the, the best I could ever equate it to was a Frank Lampard style effect of just arriving in the box at the right time. He, he, his finishes are rarely two, three, four touches. They're often a first time finish and, and, he's a really good finisher. That's why he got 20-odd goals a couple of seasons ago. So I think the, the question will be, when you say what position is Gundogan best at, he'll respond and say, well, whatever you want me to do. And and that's why I think Xavi will have a, a really fun time coaching him because he is the ideal midfielder. And, and I think if you have someone like Pep Guardiola coming out and saying um, a couple of a weeks ago during the, the, the season running, I love Vilca Gundwan up there. He's up there with my wife. You know that sort of tells you the, what you need to know about how much this this fella has left an imprint on Guardiola. Who's next in line, Xavi. And I think you know they they, they will have a fantastic working relationship because he is he's, he passing, finishing, um, even tackling to a degree. Just just everything he does to such a high quality, and and that's what I'm excited to see in a different league, in a different environment, him going out and testing himself. Yeah, well, where he is utilized, I think, is a big if,
1: and the big if has to do with Barcelona's pivot or the defensive midfield spot, because I think the first question, based on the way that the squad is constituted right now, and then, of course, it'll be my second show this week, but the names that are now popping up in this will say, even though the transfer window is about to open, but you already feel like conversations are had and they're sussing down their list. And Barcelona have now gone far enough down their transfer transfer midfielder or, or pivot list that I would ask, do you think that Frenkie de Jong and Gundogan can coexist as double pivots without either one being a proper defensive midfielder, if that's the way the Xavi goes? And I, I think you answered the question already a little bit in the Liga. I would say, yes, like Frenkie de Jong and Gundogan can easily coexist as the double pivots in the Liga when Barcelona have 70% of the ball against, against players, again, in the bottom half of the league of table. But the, the question everyone cares about is back to Europe when teams are counterattacking, when teams are counterattacking not only on the wings, but through the middle as well. And so you can't have Ronald Araujo start as your right back to deal with a pacey winger. And then also try to cut something out through the middle. You're going to need some kind of defensive. I mean, so basically somebody who who, who makes some tackles and, I mean, that's the interesting thing that they're losing in Busquets, is they're losing the player that had the most interceptions and the most tackles every single season at Barcelona since the 2015 season, or 2016, rather. And that was when they began taking that account. So it could be that he had had the most tackle interceptions since 2009, since he he arrived, right? So without that player, right, De Jong or, or Gundogan, can they exist if Gundogan is expected to be the guy who's going to be starting in the Champions League. And some pivot might be coming in to be the La Liga pivot, if you will, right? The guy that's not going to be expected to start in in Champions League knockout competition.
2: Uh, that would be my biggest concern. Um, Gundogan isn't an enforcer. He's not a disruptor. He's not the sort of fella who you need with a one goal lead, 20 minutes to play. I was going to say against someone like Juventus, but obviously they're not in the Champions League. But, you know, that, that sort of team, that sort of gritty away game in Europe where you, you need to see a game out, he, he can do that in front of a, a holding midfielder. And, and he, uh, Rodri and he had a fantastic relationship. This season in particular. But just looking at um, FB ref in terms of statistics, the average is about one tackle per game, which is handy and it's helpful especially if you sort of coupling that with a a more traditional holding midfielder but he he isn't that man I think who could do that against a a higher quality opposition he he averages less than one interception per game he averages less than one block much less than one clearance and and that's sort of that translates to Frankie de Jong as well he averages just over one interception but less than one block and just over one tackle as well so I, I would I would fear for the transitions if it is Ilkay Gundogan and Frankie De Jong being left to deal with it because that could get it, it could get a little bit messy. Not not even just in the sense of the pace and the fact that they are not the fastest human beings on the planet, which I think is a, a sort of a quintessential. Um, need for a decent holding midfielder but the fact that they are not that sort of guy and and, and they can do it I, I would suspect if you paired them together they would have a decent shot at it and it wouldn't look horrific and you know it wouldn't be t- torn up after 20 minutes but i wouldn't back barcelona for a, a, a hefty champions league run a semi-finals a quarter-finals a knockout place if that's all they have i do feel like there maybe needs to be a little bit more what would the word be? Industrialism in that midfield. Let's put it that way. I mean, just number wise, I would say somebody to make tackles. Busquets had
1: <laughs> yeah. almost two and a half tackles per game, as compared to the just over one by, as you mentioned, De Young and kundigan together last season. While his interceptions were down to one, at, Busquets was so good at being in the right place at the right time. A lot of times, that number isn't a countable number. If he gets the interception, if he steps in, they don't necessarily count that. It, it's certain parameters got to be like up to 15 yards, something where it happens. And so he didn't get credit that being Busquets for a lot of the times when he was just in the right spot to not only pick off the ball, but the ball goes loose or there's a pass that goes awry that isn't technically kind of a miss hit. And then he's just on the ball and it, did, it didn't matter either way. Um, you, Cardi, talked about his attacking. Because again, now we're saying if Barcelona bring in a defensive midfielder and it all works out for them, I mean, let's say they do bring in somebody that just winds up being the starter anyway. And Barcelona are saying, hey, our defensive midfielder may not be this star star attraction, but because we've now got talent at almost every other position, we're fine with just having a player not have any headlines and do what he needs to do because Gunnigan, just like Pedri, is best moving forward. And so now you have a, well, in theory, a 5 man midfield rotation, including Pedri, Gabi, De Jong, and, and Gundogan, along with whoever that pivot may be, with Kessie likely on the outside looking in. And pushing Gundogan forward, even maybe more so than than Gabi, because I think that's the other question about him in an attacking sense. How will Pedri and Gundogan coexist? I mean, I think I have an answer on the Pedri side of it, is that you can Based on what you've said about Gundogan and what we know of Pedri and where he is in his offensive projections, it would be that Pedri would play a little bit deeper, more of that six, and it would be or more of the eight, rather. And then that Gundigan would, in theory, be more of the 10, pushing forward a little bit more. Because even last year, you said he had 11 goals, seven assists, and you mentioned his assists kind of come arriving late in the box, but being that one with the nose for goal in a way that Pedri, we saw those flashes, and he also was the highest scoring midfielder for Barcelona, but that felt more of necessity than it did Pedri. Being that player, I think he was forced to be that player because he's that good. But with with Gundogan, it, it, I think it's one of those where a what is it? The high wave rises all boats. I never get it right, but you get the point. <laughs> that it, it, all ships are, are rising in terms of goal scoring from the midfield because of Gundogan and the threat that he is alongside Lewandowski, and then of course uh, the wingers in Dembele and Rafinha not expected to score as much. So for Gundogan, do you expect his goal numbers to be about the same? And if that is the case, will he need to be? We'll say the ten playing as that that box four midfield in the inside forward role there on the left? And can he do that? Can he get out to the touchline if he does have to be that? It's not a four three three, 3 right? It's a 3 two, five in possession. You know the same thing. That's what Guardiola plays. That's what Xavi plays. So in that 3 2 five, can Gundogan play as that inside forward there out on the left with, with Balde overlapping him? Can he handle that touchline defensive duties at times and, and kind of be everywhere he needs to be on the left? Or should he be on the right and then Pedri switch to the left?
2: I was going to mention the box formation because it, it is a, a sort of a, a modern phenomenon in a sense, but also mm. having been around for about 150 years in terms of the history of football and tactics. So it's, it's fantastic to see uh, Guardiola of all people win a treble with a, a formation that was around sort of like two centuries ago or nearly two centuries ago. But he, he did a really, a really fantastic job of that he, he, uh, to sort of paint the picture. City's box midfield was for, from the most part of the season, especially in the big matches, um, Rodri. John Stones, who was doing that sort of stepping into midfield role from from centre half, um, or at times right back, depending on which sort of uh which sort of team was set up. Then Kevin De Bruyne and Gundwan would be the two in front, acting as the as the eight, sort of quasi ten. It was all it was all very weird. It was all very experimental, but um you, you sort of get the picture. I think he he can he he can do either side, um, in terms of uh sort of operating. And we saw a fantastic goal in the um in the Manchester Derby FA Cup final, I keep going back to what, it was one of his best performances where 13 seconds then he arrives, I think it was from the right-hand side and, and sort of just a fantastic volley, first-time volley into the top corner. So he, he does sort of, that That would probably be maybe, I, I, would, I would fancy more on the left-hand side because he, he can sort of, He can drift into the half spaces and and he works really well with Jack Grealish, um, City's left-hand sided forward in terms of those two operating, those two having a fantastic link-up. Kevin De Bruyne was more of that right-hand side midfielder in the sense that he would get to the byline. He would be the one putting in crosses, working with Kyle Walker, who was at the... um, Right sided defensive position. Lots lots of different positions going on uh, Feel free if you if you if you're lacking to pull up a pitch or something like that, because I know my head's getting a bit wobbly. But in terms of that left hand side, I think is probably his, his sort of his better position. Um but it, it really depends on, on the sort of the the pieces that are in Barcelona's attack and who he clicks with. And obviously you mentioned Pedri, Gavi, uh Frankie De Jong. I think I think those two will have a Frankie de Jong will get it. It's about whether those two younger midfielders sort of get on the same wavelength and, and and who really takes charge of that midfield I think will be interesting because Gundwan possibly until this season has been sort of the 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 other guy in not in the derogatory sense but Kevin De Bruyne has the keys or maybe David Silver had the keys going back to a couple of years ago, whoever else was in there and then Gundwan would be the accessory, it's whether or not Gundwan now is the, is the main guy and it's built around him with the likes of Pedri, Gavi, sort of working to try and come up with a formula that allows Gundogan to get the, the most productivity going forward.
1: Yeah, it does seem odd that he kind of comes into the team being the one that you'd expect to kind of be the stabilizing force because Pedri, I mean, it feels like he's been around a long time, but he hasn't. And I think to your point, if Pedri is still the metronome, if Pedri is still the best midfielder in Barcelona's midfield, that raises the ceiling. That is the best version of Barcelona. If Pedri is the man, and Gündogan is still the, Gündogan is still the accessory piece to him, or the 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 Robin to his Batman. But as you mentioned, based on. Not even getting the best out of Gunnigan, uh, Gunnigan, but getting the best out of that midfield, having everybody on the field that needs to be on the, it might be required that he is kind of what is set up. And I think there is a world too, you know, it's funny with, with Lewandowski last year he had 33 goals and eight assists, but with Dembele, if he's able to, I always say this, if he's able to stay healthy and be on the field. Obviously, that brings the best out of Lewandowski. And then Gunowin also being on the field, I think, brings the best out of Lewandowski. So having those two together, basically, not his, his henchmen, but two guys that we know can feed Lewandowski at the highest level, I think Lewandowski is still, even at 35, going to be capable of... Now you're talking 40 goals again, right? And then mm-hmm. whatever you get out of Pedri, whatever you get out of Gunnigan, whatever you get out of Rafinha and Dembele is... It's fine. You know, it's, we're happy with it if it's if it's uh, 8 to, to 10 goals. Because as you know, too, with when it comes to winning trophies, especially in leagues, it's can you get to the number of goals required? Like, where are those goals coming from? Mm-hmm. I always do this experiment, which, which again, brings up players like Ansu Fati and Ferran Torres. And by the way, we're going to transition to Guardiola and Cancelo, but I'm going to slip this in there. Do you want Ferran Torres back for like... Uh, like 45 million million. What is that is that cool or no no right.
2: i I'd, I'd still i'd still like the money that Ferran torres was bought for <laughs> so, to start no, off with that yeah
1: yeah all right so <laughs> you got to wait for that amortization all that stuff so all right Well, city fans maybe I, not so upset about losing Gunigan. again you said they're they're more at peace with it but just kind of wondering all right you've got him gone, and I think Mateo Kovacic has been around long enough that you'd expect that he's not going to have any issues hitting the ground running. So that's not a concern. But you still haven't finished polishing your Champions League trophy, as you mentioned, with Tev Guardiola on the sideline. And the big question about Guardiola, because obviously from the Kool-Aid perspective, he was a Kool-Aid, played for Barcelona. He is still so essential to their philosophy, to, I mean, the direct line from Cruyff to Guardiola to... Busquets on the field, you know, as the captain, as, as the defensive midfielder, as the pivot. And then going back before Cruyff in, in Venus Michaels, like for Barcelona, there's a legacy at it's not even the pivot position, but a philosophy of the way that a midfield runs that dates back legitimately to the 60s and 70s. And you're talking about that long, about 60 years. And so it's difficult, I think, for Kule to separate Guardiola's legacy from always being a Kule, even though he has been gone for now 10 years. So how would you define Guardiola's legacy at City? And how do you define Guardiola's legacy overall still, again, with the, with the, the idea, the understanding that he is and always will be
2: a Kool-Aid? It, I was having this discussion, or a very similar one, a couple of days ago. I can't quite remember who it was with, but it, it's interesting because I think if you were to ask me, and, and Guardiola's been at City since 2016, which is seven years, if you were to ask me... First thing that comes to mind, Guardiola. I think it still might be Barcelona. I'm not sure now, and sort of maybe I'm thinking of thinking of something. But I, I think it's Guardiola, uh, Guardiola and Barcelona. But there's a generation of football fans who will only have ever known Guardiola at Manchester City. They, right. wouldn't have see, they wouldn't have seen Guardiola at Barcelona. They wouldn't have seen him with uh, Messi. They wouldn't have seen him win the Champions League with uh, Busquets, with Xavi, with Iniesta. You know, that that trident, that, that that's basically a lot of my football education because when I was growing up a City fan 15-odd years ago, we <laughs> we didn't have anywhere near the quality. So I think a lot of people, and, and this is why it was so fantastic when Guardiola came to City, because he, he, he was idolised before he arrived and not many managers can say that you usually your legacy is defined by what happens when you're at the club not you, you know you don't have that admiration before you arrive so i think with guardiola and city it has been it's almost been like he was the perfect man obviously at the perfect time that goes without saying but he's dragged city up another level city had been in a champions league semi final before he arrived did won a premier league title or two before he arrived but he's instilled a mentality, not only within the City players and, and players who come and go, not only within the City fans, but also within the wider footballing world that this is a big football club. Like it or not, whether or not you know, you joke about whatever it may be in, in regards to City, this is a big football club. And we saw that with... The likes of Erling Haaland, who, by all reports, is no longer has a release clause in his contract because it was down to whether or not Guardiola will stay in two, three years, whatever it may be. We've seen it with players who are coming in. Uh, one at the moment, Guardiola from RB Leipzig wants to play under Guardiola. Declan Rice wants to play under Guardiola. So that, that sort of, in terms of the person, that's that's one of the things that I think has been really influential. But also in Europe, and that culminated with this this Champions League. Guardiola had won Champions Leagues before. He'd won two of them before, obviously 2009, 2011. But winning the Champions League with City, and again, elephant in the room, City have a lot of money, but the Champions League is is almost... It's a competition which, unless you've been burned, and City had been burned multiple times before at the Burnabout in 2022, obviously two goals in what felt like 30 seconds, but I think it was two and a half minutes or something when City had one foot in the final. Losing to Chelsea in 2021, the quarterfinal defeats before that, the knockout stages, getting to the knockout stages in general, just getting past that group stage element of it all. Everything with Guardiola has been progression, progression, progression. And... His his story with Barcelona was fantastic, but the way he's transformed City in, from a, a a decent team, a team that won a couple of league titles and could spend money on big players and attract you know a certain level of talent to the team in Europe. Mm-hmm. Kovacic signed on the day we we're recording. Kovacic signed in his in his interview. He said City are the best team in Europe, and I think that's sort of. That's his legacy. Whenever he may leave, be that two years, three years, five years, that's his legacy to get cities to a point where they are viewed as an equal to the likes of Real Madrid, Barcelona, or at least in the present, obviously, not in the past. And and I think that's that's that is him. That is down to him. Yeah, it is interesting too, because between
1: Guardiola now, this will be what his his A season, correct? So it'll be double the amount of time that he has managed. Man City that he had managed Barcelona and even beyond him, Ferran Soriano, who was at the club for a long time, that being Man City and Chiki Bajarestein, who you could really call the architect of what City is now. They have both been at Man City, also double the time or triple the time they were at Barcelona pulling the strings there. And so there is this contingent of of Catalans at Man City who have been doing the job at City again, for many more years than they ever did it at Barcelona. But because of football, again, seems to be, as you said, I mean, for whenever new fans jump on, that is the the nexus of, of when they begin considering this era, this journey. And for you and I, who were there 15 years ago and watching those things, and I was a fan of Guardiola then and Barcelona and all that stuff then and enjoying that back 15 years ago, that it feels like City as in a continuation of this product where the names and faces that you know that did the thing at Barcelona and have now moved on and are doing the thing at City, it still feels like this can continuation, continuation of the philosophy of almost reaching what perfect football is supposed to be as it changes and the, it ebbs and flows in time. Uh, and I think fullbacks are a big thing there because here's the last question here about a fullback in Jao Cancelo because he's so interesting in modern football because of the importance of Fullbacks, like the Kyle Walker deal that Man City made a few years ago, really did raise all the eyebrows about like, oh, no, are footballers, I mean, are fullbacks really going to be this expensive nowadays, right? The the Zhao can sell alone loan, you know, will he, won't he go out on loan or will he arrive to Barcelona or where will he go this offseason, I think is all pretty interesting. Because last time I checked, two seasons ago, he was arguably a top fullback in world football. I mean, top, we're talking three. So what in the heck happened in just a few months that seemed to continue on at Bayern Munich when he went on loan there? I mean, so should Kool-Aid in any way be excited if he was loaned to Barcelona at the end of the transfer window if City can't find any suitors or if City can't even find anything in the locker room that they want to have him continue on at the club? It seems like it's all, all set on fire at this point.
2: I'll, I'll have to contact my lawyer after after I say this because it might uh, there, there are a few... Allegations, but I'll keep it clean. Basically, in, in around January time, uh, Cancelo started the season um, as City's starting fullback, and and sort of throughout the pre World Cup period was a regular in the team and, and doing pretty well. Um, the, the two seasons prior, he was named in the in the PFA Team of the Season, which is basically the, uh, the the players in the Premier League vote for a team of the season. Cancelo was named in it. He was he, he's dubbed one of the best fullbacks in the world, um, and, and rightly so. But after the World Cup, he came back and obviously Portugal had had a difficult World Cup, as we all saw Cristiano Ronaldo going off crying down the tunnel, which was hilarious. But Cancelo, obviously, and and, and, uh, Ruben Diaz, Bernardo Silva, it wasn't just him. A a lot of players came back from the World Cup and really sort of struggled to get back into the rhythm of it. And Cancello was dropped, just straight out dropped. He was um, replaced on the whole by Nathan Ake, who, who had sort of played a little bit throughout the season, but he was very much seen as a, a secondary, even tertiary at times, player in that left-back position. Rico Lewis, a young academy prospect, came in. He was 18 years old. Yeah. He was playing at right-back whilst Kyle Walker was injured. Cancelo just wasn't playing. And by all accounts, this is where it gets a little bit murky, but by all accounts, he was doing his level best to disrupt the dressing room in the sort of the most traditional um, toys out the pram style you can imagine. He was sort of making comments, allegedly was going into tackles on players who were sort of, you know, maybe in his positions and getting more game time. This is all reports, by the way. This isn't just sort of uh, rumours from me, but... Yeah, he, he wasn't very nice in the dressing room. That's when, it, like, why he was shipped out. Just sort of a couple of days before the transfer window end, he, he was told by his agent that City don't want him. He's gonna have to find a new club. By Munich came in, and again, it didn't really work. The the issue with Cancelo is, I think he is one of the best players in the world. If he has it all, if he is knowing that he is starting every single week, there are a few better players who who can do that fullback position uh, as he does. And going back to it, he's another player who is very absorbent in terms of what he can offer on a football pitch. If you want him to play right back, if you want him to play left back, if you want him to step into midfield, if you want him to sort of do that touchline, hugging down the line, cutting in on the byline, he can do it all. He's he's, a, he's an incredible footballer, but it's the attitude that's the problem. And I, I, I sort of feel like it's obviously happened at Juventus. It's happened at a, a couple of other clubs he's been at as well when things start to go sour he isn't the fella who will knuckle down and say right okay i'm going to get my place back it sort of there's a few city players who that's happened to nathan ake has sort of been in and out the team but this season was one of city's most important players cancelo is never that guy he isn't the one who's going to say okay i i i've i'm out of the team i'm out of form let me get back into it he's going to cause disruption and I feel like maybe in two three years time when he when he sort of is at another club and and it happens again the cycle goes round City fans will be sat there going I told you so um just to wrap up because obviously you mentioned about the loan or the the sale I I would be very 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 doubtful that City get a cash offer for him because he's contracted until 2027 I would even be more doubtful that he plays another game for Manchester City. So sort of putting two and two together, that equates to a loan. I would just fear for whichever club it is, unless I don't like that club, which you can have have him, you can have a fantastic year with him, but after that, it will probably go downhill. Yeah, he's going to be interesting too,
1: because uh, I mean, if he were to arrive at Barcelona, because I think the Catalan papers are are licking their lips with with the idea that if he thinks that the reports and the rumours and things of him in training, if he thinks those are leaked at City, For Barcelona, you can't sneeze without 90 papers (laughs) writing something. And if he thinks the pressure of the Antorno is is bad there, I mean, it would also bring in a question he'd be signing immediately with the idea that unless he proves it to Xavi from day one, Balde, Christensen, Araujo, and Kunde, those are Xavi's starters on the back line. So Cancelo, I mean, there's no guarantee that he would start just coming in on arrival, even though Koundé would love to shift over. And Koundé is interesting too. You, you mentioned the the Portuguese players struggling coming back because the French players for Barcelona did the same thing in Dembélé and Koundé didn't hit the ground running. Koundé kind of struggled in the second half of the year. And I, it's interesting thing after this winter world cup, kind of looking at that macro, well, who did struggle coming back from that and who didn't and what, what teams were they on and things like that. But, all right. We, we've talked enough. You know, we, could, we could talk even longer. But the next time Barcelona get a City player, I think will be the next time I give you a call, of course. And in the meantime, where can people
2: find you? And if we get each other in the Champions League, obviously pot one, so we we can't be drawn there. But um, uh, I'll be giving you a call as well and you can come on the show, which is City Report Podcast. We do daily Manchester City episodes in the season, currently having a well-deserved break after a very, very long campaign. Or if you want to see my personal ramblings about English, Manchester City, European football, Amos Murphy underscore on all social media platforms.
1: All right, you can find most of the stuff down in the show notes below, of course. So this wraps up another edition of the show. Again, that City Report Podcast, breaking down the again signing. We're going to talk a lot more about that and the pivot stuff later in the week as well uh, with one of the regular guests. And then, of course, if you need to find any of that stuff, the history stuff is probably coming next few weeks as well, as I mentioned. So Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Patreon, YouTube, you don't know want to find us. So thanks so much for listening to the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. a question.